WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 289. Show the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 506 in the Marriott Hotel in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. In this episode, we have some aviation news items and your feedback, and of course, the latest Plane Tales installment, The Plane People. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 289 is ready for pushback. Hello and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we talk mostly airline-related stuff. You know, airline pilot guy. And I'm a captain for a major U.S. carrier. And joining me, we have a doctor of physiatry. Doctor? Doctor, 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 marathon doctor. runner, doctor, doctor, skydiver, doctor, doctor. and winner of doctor. the swimsuit doctor. competition doctor. and the Miss doctor. World doctor. 2017 doctor. pageant. Doctor, the wonderful, doctor. lovely Doctor Steph. Ah, thank you very much, Captain Jeff. Wonderful to be back with you guys. I missed you guys last week. And was I even here the week before that? I can't remember now. I feel like it's been a long time since I've seen y'all. I think you were with but. us a little bit on that previous show. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes I fly airplanes, too. Um, oh, I forgot to mention that part, too. Shoot. <laughs> yeah, that's why she's here. Right. She's a pilot. There's a commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. There we go. The rest of that is all lies. You forget the rest of it. Well, no. Uh, you did the, you're a no, marathon no. runner. See? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm not so sure about the uh, doctor part. Oh, just kidding. Yes, definitely <laughs> Wait a, a doctor. Minute. Wait a minute. It was the swimsuit edition that I was talking uh, about. So well, I don't know. Honorary. Look for that in the future. In the future. <laughs> All right. But glad to be back with you guys. Looking forward to a wonderful show this afternoon. Oh, you're not. Come on. <laughs> Let's be honest. Okay. Also Please. joining us from, well, normally across the pond, but he's with us over in uh, Long Island on a layover. He is a captain for a major European carrier, a wide body captain on the uh, Airbus 340 and 330 jets. And uh, he was formerly a Royal Air Force and Royal Australian Air Force fighter pilot, professional photographer, and so much more. Captain Nick Anderson. <laughs> Hi there, Jeff. I'm sure it's getting a bit long, you know. You're going to have to cut some of that stuff out. I'll edit it post. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Lovely to be uh, back on the show. Great to see you. Great to see Steph. And I can see uh, Dana hiding in the corner to come next. Hi, Dana. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to a great show. We've... Uh, uh, it can only go uphill from here. Is that right? <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yes. And speaking of going uphill, last but certainly not least, we have a former regional jet pilot, now a major airline captain, Captain Dana Col- Colton. Sorry. Wow. I hope that was the internet skipping there. No, it was good me. afternoon. <laughs> my brain skipping. <laughs> good afternoon. Great to be back yet once again. Sorry I missed the show last week, but uh, some people have to work to make a living. So 
Uh, looking forward to another great show. Yes. I see the, what? the reaction. Have yeah. you seen my schedule? What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. Well, that's one kind of making fun of it. Oh, to be okay. honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, looking for another great show. We're glad we get it kicked off here. Yeah, finally. <laughs> and thank you for having me once again. Oh, it's great to have you, Dana. That's what she said. Um, yeah. So, uh, this is all, if you're listening to the audio podcast, audio only, uh, and most of you, that's the way you hear our show, um, you're uh, about to be made aware of the fact that we have been trying to do this show now for, I don't know, uh, more than an, an hour. hour. Yeah. It was like 38, or no, uh, 68 minutes, I think. It's so. It's not unusual for us to be plagued with technical difficulties. Uh, but uh, today um, is just uh, set a record for technical difficulties. And, and one of the biggest technical difficulties that, that was just discovered uh, today, uh, just right before the show, is the fact that, well, Steph sent me some feedback, some audio feedback. And she said, well, did you, did you get the feedback from Tillman, too? And I said, no, I, I, I look in the feedback folder. We only have like 11 pieces of feedback. I'm thinking, this is awesome. We're going to be actually caught up. And then she said, well, something. And then I thought, you know, something doesn't seem right. So I went and logged into the direct access to my feedback email. And I learned that uh, many of you had sent email uh, going all the way back into the latter part of August. And uh, I didn't realize that uh, you had done that. And that's why we didn't have a lot of feedback in the feedback folders, because uh, it just wasn't getting forwarded to where it was supposed to be forwarded. So I do apologize for that. And we're going to do our best. Uh, as Steph said, Jeff, I think you might have to do a feedback extra show. So that is probably true. So again, apologies if you sent in feedback to the feedback at Airline Pilot Guy uh, address. And um, we did get it. Now that we're aware of it, and we'll certainly address it as soon as we can. So apologies for that. And, uh, oh, well, we've had other issues with technology as well today, but that's okay. We're going to move on. Everything is much better now. And uh, now we're going to talk about what has been happening with everyone. Dr. Steph, uh, anything new with you? Hmm, new stuff. Not a whole lot of new stuff. Um, you'll hear a little bit of what I've been up to this week in that audio feedback that you just referenced. Because mm -hmm. I've actually um, been hanging out with someone that we know and love and miss very much a couple times this week, actually. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, the stuff that's new and different is not has not happened yet. But as of next week on Tuesday, I'm leaving for my big trip to go to Germany and run the marathon there in Berlin on the 24th. So we have some feedback from Tillman about the meetup that we're having there on the 22nd. And I don't know what that means in terms of me doing the show for the next two weeks. But what I'm really going to try and do is um, some crew logs and kind of some updates from the road and where I'm traveling and what I'm doing. And so if you are a uh, Patreon subscriber, or if you contribute to the coffee fund, look for lots of updates on the crew log feed from me, because I'm really planning on doing that. Coolio. And then you can also all of that. It'll be difficult for me to actually join the show, but I'll try if I can. Yeah. And you can also send in, uh, you know, an occasional audio feedback as well to the well now, now that I'm actually aware that I wasn't getting the email. You can still send it to feedback at airline pilot guy or the other one that you <laughs> I'll were using sure to make sure that you'll <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll make sure that you're aware that it's it's okay. 
Okay. So I'm sure we're going to be hearing from you in the next few weeks. I know it's a, a very, very busy next few weeks. Um, so uh, great. Um, and if you want, I do want to play those audio things now or after we've talked we to everyone else. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. All right. Why don't we, which one do you want me to play first? Uh, it doesn't matter. Your choice. No, you're going to tell me. Jeff, play this one. All right. Well, let's play the one about the upcoming um, meetup first from Tillman so we can make sure everyone has that information. Okay, here we go. Hey, APG community and crew. This is Private Pilot Tillman from Berlin, Germany. And I heard how you were struggling with the German street names on the last show for the Berlin meetup. So I thought I'd jump to the rescue. The Berlin meetup is going to be on Friday, the 22nd of September. We're going to meet at around 7 o'clock at the Circus Hostel Brewing Company. And the address is Weinbergsweg 1A. And the little bit more English pronunciation would probably be Weinbergsweg, which is also fine. And the number is 1A. And it's directly at Rosenthaler Platz. So that's Rosen, Rosenthaler Place, if you see it spelled. And I'm very much looking forward to having you all here, to hosting you, to seeing you, and to let you try the world's best beer, which I will say in all modesty. So, the Circus Hostel Brewing Company, Friday the 22nd of September, with Dr. Steph. It's Weinbergsweg 1A, directly on the U8 subway stop, Rosenthaler Platz. Tillman, I believe that's the way we pronounced it. If you were listening. I didn't even make an attempt, actually. No, I know you didn't. It was, wow. Because <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I saw the, the, I can't even say it, but the one that starts with a W, and I said, well, nope, that was no so chance American. I'm going to say that. <laughs> that was so American of you. Yeah, I know, right? I'm going to have to go back and listen to that show to find out what I actually said, because I don't think I said that. <laughs> you said, <laughs> yeah, you, you it, did it, reference it the Rosen something plots. Rosenthaler. So. I'm Be, still messing it up. Because I was made fun of from last time I was on the show that I listen, didn't listen, I listened to three shows today. So, uh, yeah, you were very close, Nick. It was very, very yes, close. it was very close, if I recall correctly. Yes, so. it was. But, but, yeah, for, I'm really... For us English speakers, I was probably close, I think, for Tillman. <laughs> you were there until six years old, was it, Nick, that you said? Oh, well, I was, uh, when I was six, I was there for a couple of years. Yeah, okay, so, all right, yeah. So I did some of my schooling there, but it was a, an international school, so we didn't do too much in German. But we had to get around. We used to go on the, all the uh, trams and things on our own, so that was quite exciting. Awesome. Well, I will say I know there's going to be at least a several several of you from the community over in Europe that are confirmed and coming, so I'm very much looking forward to that. And if um, we haven't heard from you, send me a message on Twitter, perhaps, um, at Dr. Steph Plum, and that way I'll know it'll be on the lookout for you when you when you get there. But I'm sure you'll find us just fine. So after Tillman's wonderful direction. So really looking forward to that. It's going to be an awesome couple of weeks, and I'll miss you guys on the show if I don't manage to make it on, but uh, from me, nonetheless. And if you want to know what I've been up to this week, you can play that second piece of feedback. Okay, here we go. 
Hey APGers, Dr. Steph here, and I might be the luckiest person in the world because this week I've seen, oh dear, he's making a mess of things already. Our long lost friend, Miami Rick, not once, but twice. So I'm gonna pass it over to him so he can give you a little update on what is going on. He just dropped all of his <laughs> luggage all over the floor, but we're all good to go now, so take it away. Hey everybody, so my suitcase here is a little, uh... It's a little center gravity's a little high, so it just went, you know, all over the place. But I picked it up. I'm used to it by now. It's like I've got, you know, a suitcase, a flight bag, a backpack, a birdcage, a lamp, two umbrellas. So, oh yeah, so it's uh, it's, it's a lot of stuff I got to carry around. But um, anyway, um, yeah, so um, hanging out with Dr. Steph and Charlotte, we just had some uh, yummy lunch. Dr. Steph's lunch was liquid. Mine was a steak. It was good stuff. Now we're having some uh, Starbucks talking before uh, Dr. Steph heads back and uh, records uh, another episode of the Fantastic Girl and Pilot Guy podcast. I'm on my way to Huntsville, Alabama. Woohoo! <laughs> and um, going to uh, it's going to be interesting because I'm going to I'm going to do a um, Huntsville to Miami flight, and uh, I lay over in Miami, which is it's interesting actually. It's going to be kind of weird to kind of see that place after Irma, which I escaped and gave the finger to last week. Um, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting, interesting situation. But anyway, uh, so I'm going to go down there. I'm going to be there for a day and then uh, head over to Amsterdam. And that's going to be good. It's going to be cool, too, because um, it's going to be the first time I go back there since flying for Acme South. So I'm looking for some crazy crosswinds for my landing on uh, 18 uh, left or 36 right or whatever the runways I forget. So hopefully it'll be some interesting uh, interesting wins. Uh, and then after that, uh, apparently I'm sitting there for four days, which I doubt. That never happens in the life of a freight dog. Uh, they'll probably send me down to the Middle East somewhere and then back through Amsterdam and then I end up in Hong Kong. Uh, and then at the end of this long trek around the world, I'll be back uh, in, I don't know, I think like two weeks, just shy of three weeks, as usual. But that's it. I hope everything, everybody's doing good. Keep following um, all of us on Twitter. Um, I Okay, look, I know I'm going to get gripe from all of you because I haven't recorded any um, crew logs. And every time I think of doing one, I just forget to do it. <laughs> and there's tons of really cool, interesting stuff. But, okay, okay, to my credit, to my credit, you guys get to follow every single thing I do on Twitter. Like, it's like you guys are there. It's like, you you might all as well be typewriter on the 747. Because, um, yeah, I mean, you guys are along with me all the time, which I really like, because it makes me feel like you guys are along. It doesn't make me feel as lonely on the road as I would otherwise be if you guys weren't along. So that's it. Miami Rick signing off from Charlotte. Uh, have an awesome rest of the week. And uh, Airbus sucks. Talk to you guys soon. <laughs> And I'll see you guys in like 25 minutes. So talk to you soon. Bye. Oh, you just literally recorded that. Just Yeah, that was at like three o'clock. Oh, wow. So, Why didn't you yeah. grab him and take him with you and force him to sit down and be on the show with us today? He, he had to get on an airplane. Oh, so what? He can catch another one. I know. It's just I Huntsville. Hey, in the middle of that, for some reason, it was playing something else, too. I don't know what point. you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, don't you understand, Steph? The people that are listening to the audio podcast right now, they oh, have sorry. no idea. They have no clue that, that, that there was you another piece of audio playing. <laughs>
<laughs> Only the people watching this live, but now everybody knows because I'm not going to yeah. take this out of the uh, audio podcast. I, so so you people in the audio behind the scenes podcast, there. yeah, you are lucky people because you get a little bit better. It's a little bit fixed up for you. <laughs> fake news, fake, fake podcast. So, but anyway, yeah, I wanted to make sure he uh, at least gave a little update to everyone about what's going on in his life. So. Or at least where he's going. So I, uh, I have a question about something. He said, uh-huh. "What did he have in his luggage? He had lamps and <laughs> and does he carry no. this stuff around with him?" I think he's he- carrying his entire life around with him. There's like more luggage than you'd possibly need for. Huh. Well, I don't know. It's a 17 day trip, or if he has 17 day trips, so, yeah, it's a big airplane. So there's lots it's of room. Big to airplane. Put stuff. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Probably- he's got like a his flight bat, flight case inside of another suitcase. <laughs> It's like the Russian dolls of flight bags. So does he have any? Does he have any stickers on his uh, flight flight kit? A gazillion stickers, yeah. Because I was you would uh, never guess that it's his uh, his bags. I was looking at uh, the Twitter feed, and uh, somebody said, "I think I saw you, uh, Rick, in the so and so airport terminal, whatever." He said it had to be you because your flight kit was just plastered with seven forty seven stickers. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it is okay. So. And there is one Airbus sticker. Uh huh. Is it a, a in a positive bottom. way? No. That's okay. I've got a Boeing sticker on the bottom of mine. Um, I'm a bit worried about uh, Miami Rick's uh, state of mind because he said every time he thinks of sending in a bit of feedback or a story about himself, he forgets. So, what is his retention? Uh, perhaps it's a Boeing thing. I don't know, but. It's all those engines. I don't know. You can ask him about that. I've done my job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've done good. You've done good stuff. Excellent job. All right. So hopefully we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have Rick back on a, on a more consistent basis sometime in the future. I'm hoping for it anyway. So yes, anyway, we we all miss you. We all miss you. Um, Thanks for not uh, the same without you, man. Yeah. And uh, so he's actually listening to the show still. I have no idea. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I didn't ask that question. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you had a good uh, meet up with him. And uh, now we can confirm that he is still alive. That's good. Still alive. All right. Um, Dana, what, what's been happening with you? I guess you were uh, on vacation since the last show, right? Yes, I am on a staycation. Uh, I'm sure most people know about Irma. Well, actually, you know, with such an international uh, listening group, maybe not. Uh, Irma was a major hurricane that hit the uh, southeastern United States and, and came uh, up through the Caribbean, thinking about all those poor folks down there. Um, but uh, so uh, it came up through Florida, and I had sent out an invitation for uh, any one of, number of my friends and family that lived down in Florida to come on up and seek refuge in my house in Atlanta. And a couple of uh, my one of my buddies, uh, his family decided to come on up and take me up on that. So they came in on was it Sunday, Saturday, or Sunday? I can't remember. Um, they drove up and uh, spent have just left uh, this afternoon. So that's pretty much what my time's been uh, taken up by. Other than the fact that I was uh, outside earlier and saw AT and T, they're coming through and putting fiber in. So I'm, you've got my fingers crossed. I'm gonna finally have a good internet connection because I've got the best that I can possibly have. Uh, so that's some good news this week. And then last week, uh, I posted it on uh, um, 
I very rarely am trying to do better, but I'm trying to. Uh, I tweeted out that I was at Burke Lakefront Airport. I uh, really enjoyed spending some time there. I was watching uh, a, a student getting training in a full uh, size mock up uh, Cessna, or, or, or I don't know whether it's Cessna or not, but it was a full size mock up trainer that she was doing some instrument training with. So I, I sat there and watched that for a little while and uh, saw some of the um, uh, general aviation aircraft out there. And I was quite surprised there weren't a whole lot on the uh, airport and then uh, when i was over at the uh, and anybody that ever goes to cleveland i would highly recommend this but uh there's a uh, u.s sub called the uss cod and it is i've been on most of the subs in this country the world war ii subs and it was a fantastic exhibit it's the best one i've ever been on so they had a periscope and i used the periscope to look over to the <laughs> Typical av geekdom, geekism, and uh, looked over to the airport and watched a, a, a bonanza take off. Um, so it was uh, it was it was a nice day in, in Cleveland, and that's about the extent of what I've been doing. Uh, just uh, trying to figure out uh, how to work the computer here, so that I can stay up to date with everybody. But then I realized that it wasn't necessarily me. So been an exciting, uh, fun vacation, just relaxing for a change. Good. When you go out again. Uh, next Monday evening, one leg. I think I forget where I'm going. I do have. Uh, I, I got a, a, a mess. A, a message about uh, Houston. You know, you and I both got the same message about coming out to Houston. I am going to Houston next. Not this trip, but next trip. I think I'll be in El Paso this trip. Um, the following trip, but to get in too late to possibly have a meetup on on both nights. I get in like midnight on one of them and i won't get won't get downtown on the other one until uh, close to eight thirty nine o'clock in the evening so it's just too late to try to even do anything and you're referring i think to a conversation on slack slack that's correct okay and speaking of speaking of slack i'm actually paying attention to that a lot more too so i'm i'm, I'm making an effort i know you guys probably miss me i'm not being so uh so uh, into the uh social media stuff, but I, I am trying to get better with that. Outstanding. Captain Nick is there with his uh, hand over his face and I'm not sure if he's frozen or no, I'm, I'm still here, Jeff. Can oh, you hear me? Now I can. Yeah. Now, now, now you're, you don't have your hand over your face anymore. <laughs> no, really? It was just frozen on my screen. <laughs> oh dear. No, I think we're all having bandwidth problems. Today. Yeah, we are. So nothing much uh, for me, really. I was uh, only out here, albeit in uh, our hotel in um, Manhattan uh, a few days ago. Uh, so I only got uh, like one day off uh, between these two trips. But that's partly my um, choice because I swapped uh, a Lagos, which I was supposed to be doing today uh, for a chap who likes going there. Uh, I'm a bit worried about Paul Spon's state of mental health if he likes going there, but each to his own. I'm not going to knock that. I got a uh, New York out of it, which is great, which is why I'm here. Uh, and uh, the other thing is, of course, when I get back, it gives me an extra day off uh, just before a little holiday I'm taking uh, with my lady wife. Uh, we're heading off to uh, Italy for a, a while just to uh, enjoy some sunshine and uh, the beaches uh, on the west side of uh, Italy on a fairly uh, lovely piece of coast so i'm looking forward to that if uh, we do the show by sort of uh, tuesday wednesday next week i'll still be 
there. But uh, after that, um, uh, I'm not quite sure what it'll be like. I'll take my gear with me just in case you can catch me in some hotel. Excellent. Uh, but uh, I'll certainly keep everyone uh, advised as to what's going on on the odd uh, Twitter feed and uh, by perhaps a crew log and uh, should get back uh, on the 28th. So that's uh, Thursday, 28th. And then a couple more days off and back to work. And the whole of next month for me is standby, which for me means I don't know where I'm going to be or when I'm going to be for a whole month. So uh, that's kind of up in the air. Although um, there's some guys uh, in the UK hoping to arrange a meetup at, uh, in the UK, which is kind of a bit of a rare occurrence. It's almost all the meetups I do are down route. And they're saying, well, you live in England. Come on, let's have a UK meetup. So there might be something happening on the weekend, 28th, 29th of uh, October, um, perhaps down at Goodwood. More news, um, Goodwood Airport. More news about that uh, as we get closer. I'm letting them organize it, so uh, I'm sure they'll be putting something out before too long once we've confirmed uh, details. There's a, there's a very nice airfield there, and uh, it's near a, quite a famous race course, and um, there's always a, a very large annual event called um, uh, Something of Speed. Goodwood. Goodwood. Good word, yeah. All one word. Civil of speed, that's right. And they get a lot of uh, racing cars and hill climbers and vintage vehicles and things, uh, as well as an air show there every year. So, And what's more, when I uh, am down at uh, nearby city of Chichester doing my, uh, you know, uh, lawn bowling, they fly Spitfires out of Goodwood regularly with uh, the two-seaters. So they've got uh, someone in the back seat paying uh, probably quite a stiff price, but probably worth it to uh, get a, a flight in the back of the Spitfire there. Always coming over Chichester. Looks great. Sounds fantastic. That'll be fun. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, let's see. Catching up with me, I was, I've been flying pretty much. Let's see. I'm on day number five of six. Um, started off on Sunday through Tuesday and then Wednesday through Friday. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Um, we're going to have a meetup here in Little Rock. Uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning, Landon um, is driving all the way up from Dallas. To, um, I, I, I'm sure it's not just to be meeting up with me here at the uh, Flying Saucer. Uh, and he and his girlfriend uh, are going to meet up with me after the show today. And I'm looking forward to that. And then also on Saturday, day after tomorrow, I guess. Today's Thursday, right? Yeah. Um, we are planning on getting back uh, together over at the Scofflaw Brewing Company in uh, inside the perimeter in Atlanta for uh, they, they're having their one year anniversary. I think we've mentioned it um, a time or two on the show. And if you're following or you're part of the uh, Slack group, you'll see uh, under the meetups channel uh, that uh, Stephen Ivy uh, had put in something about that. So we're planning on meeting up again. Uh, at the uh, Scofflaw Brewing Company at 2 o'clock on Saturday. So if you're in the Atlanta area and you want to join us, please do. And I think that's about all I had for meetups. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we move on? Um, yes. And like you, Jeff, I'm going to uh, I'm going to try to pick up a green slip. So if I don't get green slip, I'll see you guys on Saturday. It's right down the road from my house, actually. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. 
Good. Well, especially with them, especially with it being bourbon barrel, mm-hmm. at least beers, bourbon beer. Come on now. Yeah. That's right up my alley. And I just won't bring my computer. There you go. Leave yes. it at home. Leave it at home. Safe. Yeah. <laughs> Safety first with the computer. Yeah. <laughs> Poor thing. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, let's talk uh, just quickly about the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the Java Java and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. And if you love it as well and you want to support it financially, please head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. A couple different ways that you can participate in the coffee fund. And uh, the first is the coffee fund classic method, basically a PayPal donation, a one time or couple time or recurring donation is possible over there. And since the last show, we have Mark Andre Talbot, Walter Simpson, Alex Stroud, Christopher Marsh, and Garrett Lowe. They all use the Coffee Fund Classic method to contribute to the show. Again, remember, if you need the money for food and clothing and shelter and flying lessons, (laughs) please don't send any to us here at the Airline Pilot Guy Show. But if you are uh, someone who uh, just does has so much money they don't know what to do with it, uh, please consider joining the Coffee Fund Cadre. And uh, let's see, since the last show, we don't have any new patrons. That's okay. So we have a bunch of you uh, fine folks over there, uh, patrons of the show, via Patreon.com. If you want to check out both of those uh, things, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. And again, as always, we really appreciate your donations. All right. With that, I think now is time for us to head over to the news. I'll start off with uh, something that uh, Liz, a part of the Coffee Fund cadre and a big part of our APG community, she sent in this uh, way back on the 11th of August. Sorry, it's taken us so long to uh, get to this, Liz, but uh, it is uh, some good news about some bad people. (laughs) Um, Police in Spain say a British father and son are facing fines of up to 540,000 pounds for allegedly pointing laser pens at planes as they came into land. Detectives claim an off-duty officer had spotted the pair shining beams at aircraft descending into Malaga Airport. The 41-year-old man and his 15-year-old boy were in their hotel room or on their hotel room's balcony in uh, Toromolinos. <laughs> How's that at the time? 
Um, Torre Molinos. That's exactly the, uh, that's actually the sister city. Torre Molinos. To, uh, Torre <laughs> Several um, <laughs> pilots <laughs> are believed to have complained about being dazzled with a green laser pointer as they prepared to land. The emergency services managed to locate and identify the holidaymakers and two laser pens were seized. And if you uh, look at the link to this uh, article in the show notes, you'll see the uh, the pens in question. Um, I like that they measured them and everything. Just, oh, yeah. It's very technical. <laughs> yes. It's the evidence. <laughs> the evidence. It's right there presented for you in full fidelity and resolution. A statement from Spain's National Police said that the very serious violation could result in a fine of at least 27,000 pounds and up to 540,000. So we're not really sure exactly you know, what they're going to get slapped with. But um, anyway, it's good to hear that uh, people are doing something about this uh, this very dangerous activity. Um, so that's that's all I have to say about that. Well, I'm impressed that the uh, Spanish police take it so seriously, or the Spanish courts in the UK. Uh, offenders would uh, only face a fine of up to £2,500, and investigators must prove a person has actually endangered an aircraft and... Uh, you know, mm. so that the, the onus on the proof lies with the prosecutors to uh, make sure that is proved before that fine would even be considered. Wow. What about um, jail time? I thought there was something in this article about the UK recently passing stricter measures, including prison time, jail time. I not that you're aware of. Don't see it in no. the article myself, but it could be that I'm just not spotting it. But uh, that could be. I don't know. Just I'm not curious. too sure about that stuff. Not too sure. Okay. Um, well, let's see. Let's move on. I think that um, uh, Captain Nick, you put this in the mailbag. Perhaps you want to uh, talk about um, uh, May pleading with Trump to help save British jobs. Yeah, this was in the Times the other day. And, uh, of course, Boeing have um, got a court case against uh, the Canadian uh, aircraft manufacturer Bombardier. Um, are claiming that Bombardier have uh, received unfair state support uh, from the various governments, including um, 113 million from the British government. Now, um, uh, we have uh, a component factory in Northern Ireland, an area which um, has suffered in the past from quite high unemployment uh, when the shipbuilding industry uh, sort of wound down in the UK. And uh, 4,500 employees work for Bombardier in uh, Belfast. Um, so our government is very concerned that if uh, the U.S. courts side with Boeing uh, on this, it may bring an end to the C-Series aircraft, which uh, Bombardier... Yes? Come back, Nick. Nick. In Northern Ireland. Where are you? Nick, we missed about the last sentence we or so. We lost you. Ah, well, I'm still here. I'm okay. just... Good. Not transmitting. Yeah. Okay. So, so try to like the last. Uh, where couple do you want me to carry on? <laughs> okay. So uh, um, C series. Oh yeah, <laughs> very good. From C series, uh, I'll be produced uh, in at least components of it in Belfast, and uh, about four thousand five hundred employees uh, there face uh, uh, possible loss of their jobs if uh, Boeing. Uh, is successful because there's a good chance that um, uh, Bombardier will have to close down uh, that factory. 
So um, it's interesting. Uh, Trudeau um, says uh, he, it's all uh, a, a bit of a uh, back, back door. It's not a fair court case, and it's by being bought by Boeing. It's, they're being protectionist. And he says that Boeing is pursuing unfair and aggressive trade action against the Canadian aerospace sector. And he said, uh, accuses Boeing of hypocrisy, noting that it receives billions of dollars in support from U.S. federal, state, municipal governments. So there's a certain amount of uh, he did, she did uh, in this. But uh, it's just a big shame to see that uh, one aircraft manufacturer's uh, power over another might result in um, a, a company actually uh, having to wind down and all these people lose their jobs. Yeah, I think, you know, <laughs> what? I was just waiting for somebody to say something. I'm glad you <laughs> I did. was too, but I'll just jump in there with it. Uh, I didn't you know, realize I, it was such a stunning finish. Yeah, I think. Uh, what else could be said? <laughs> there's always mm. two two sides to a lot of these stories. You know, there's the the business side of things, and then there's always the human impact side of things as well. And they aren't always uh, the same thing. And, you know, perhaps it does go both ways there. So we'll watch this and see what happens and hopefully it doesn't affect all of those jobs because that certainly wouldn't be good for you know yeah. belfast and we all need all to play people. nice together um the article exactly. does say that uh, the phone call with uh, uh trump was constructive and one said um i think the trump administration is taking some time to think this through so um We'll, uh, we'll see I'm what happens. I'm not sure what the governments can do, Jeff. Uh, they, they yeah. are, can Bombardier have either broken the law or not? Mm -hmm. um, uh, can the Trump administration really interfere with uh, a court case to any high degree? I don't know. No, not really. That's uh, probably well, a lot I'm of posturing uh, politically, I guess, here. Well, yeah. I'm hoping I don't have to learn how to speak French or Boeing. So if, as long as the uh, C-Series is still on... on, on uh, on par for uh, delivery, then that's what I think I'm going to end up going. You need to, to learn so. Canadian um, because mm -hmm. I, I know Canadian. Do you? I know Canadian. I know some Canadians. I flew too. the Canada Air Regional Jet. Oh, there you go. You're already Yeah, that was out. a great airplane. All right. I'm already checked out. Excellent. All right. Uh, probably not much more to say about that. How about Steph? Uh, you want to go and uh, do this news item that you uh, added to our yeah. news? Yeah. Where did I pull this from? I think this was from uh, the Hartford something in, no, I forget what. Uh, it's one of those newspapers up in Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah, it was a newspaper in Hartford, Connecticut, and my apologies to them because I didn't actually. I'm going to tell you right current. now. It is, it? Yeah, actually, this is from. No, it was different. Yeah, Syracuse.com uh, uh, Syracuse is the okay, that's link right. that you gave me. Thank you. Uh -huh. um, and Barbara reminded me of this because I'd forgotten that this actually happened so recently, but I'm sure many of you have seen the video of this incident on social media and the news and whatnot because it's actually pretty impressive. Um, but basically, this happened up in Connecticut, um, I guess, this past Monday. Um, it says a small plane crashed in Connecticut on Monday, but the pilot suffered only minor injuries. Um, the crash was captured on nearby cameras. The pilot, 80-year-old Manfred Fra uh forced was transported to a hospital but has since been discharged he was flying alone his single engine cessna was close to landing at robertson field airport in plainville when it veered to one side and wobbled a witness said according to the hartford current uh, the plane slammed into a tree and ended up in a parking lot of a business several hundred feet west of the runway the aircraft landed right side up but a wing was snapped 
It occurred 1130 on Monday, um, 15 miles southwest of Hartford, Connecticut. And he was renting the plane from uh, another company, which runs operations at the town-owned airport. And the company did not have a comment. Um, <laughs> Probably not very so. happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oopsie. Um, but yeah, fortunately, this guy you know got very lucky. The the video is actually very impressive. You know, it's almost comical when you watch it. The way it, the, the it's almost like the tree just grabs the plane and just like sets it down gently. It's like, whoop, whoop. but you know, you watch it, it almost looks like he's about to stall and. Spin perhaps like he's he, he's definitely not in the right place. He's too low. He looks very slow. Um, so he just got really really fortunate, and it's it's a very interesting uh, video to watch. So, is it is it kind of like yeah. the tree in uh, the Harry Potter movie? A little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I only hope he he assigned damage action of his insurance when he rented that airplane. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, either way fortunate and very lucky for this guy so yeah. and lucky that you know he landed in a parking lot i don't even think he hit a car in the parking lot and there were cars in the parking lot yeah it looked like the picture no that i could see it was just parked right next to all the other cars <laughs> exactly well exactly. parking great right. great parking job all right well that's it for the news kind of thin this week but that's okay that gives us more time to tackle the feedback that i can find that you sent me <laughs> okay here we go <laughs> Captain, incoming message. I probably won't be the first to say this, but I will add to my feeling that this is probably one of the worst shows ever. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, speak, speak for yourself. Not okay. Yeah. Wow. Not, it has nothing to do with you all. It's me. Okay. Me. Uh, let's see. Again, you're ruining it for the people who are just listening. Oh, that's they true. They have no idea. Oh, I think yeah. they sense it. <laughs> they have a sense. <laughs> Uh, let's see. This is from Jan, the man out in Northern California. I believe, uh, Nick has met Jan, um, at least once, perhaps more. Absolutely. I've got uh, his t-shirt in my suitcase. Well, you should give it back to him. Does he know you took it from him? No, no, but he is a policeman. So I ought to be careful. You should. Yes. Uh, I wanted to thank you for getting to my feedback in the last show. Of course, it wasn't the last show. It was one of the previous shows. Uh, was it too soon for underhanded compliments? I will work on my delivery. Oh, I think he was being sarcastic. Sorry. Uh, I had asked a question that you all did not have time to address. I think that many of the older listeners might benefit from the conversation. Being 49 and nearing potential retirement from my current job, I'm considering a move to the regionals. I have the pilot and command time and meet the other requirements. I wanted to spur the discussion about older folks making this late life career change and get any feedback from the many years of experience the APG crew has in the industry. I will look forward to the conversation. Thanks again for all you do. We'll continue to waste three hours per week in hopes of finding Nirvana. Well, good luck with that, Jan. Uh, he says, warm regards, Jan the man. So he, just to refresh us, Captain Nick, he flies some kind of uh, patrol um, airplane in the Bay Area for yeah, emergency yeah, services. Yeah, for the California Highway Patrol Golden Gate Division. Okay. And uh, he flies uh, something like a, a caravan. It's, uh, I think it's an Australian aircraft called the Gipper or the Gipper. 
Skipper, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's it's one of these aircraft that uh, is a nice bit of space in the cabin area. It doesn't uh, it can fly at pretty low speed, and he has one of these fantastic uh, camera systems mounted in the belly and a kind of a pod, so that they can um, zoom in. Uh, uh, possibly like the guys in the UK that were recently uh, sent to jail, who spent their time uh, zooming in on couples in their backyard uh, oh, who were engaged in nefarious activities uh, of a personal nature in the middle of the night. Then oh. um, <laughs> they found when the authorities in the UK found out about it, they uh, sent one of these guys to jail. So um, how, good was the <laughs> how good was the magnification on it? That's what I want to know. Extremely good. <laughs> it's a long way away uh, from. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, and Jan, of course, doesn't do that. He goes around uh, hunting bad guys, so we think it's great use. But uh, he did promise that if he ha- didn't happen to be in the process of hunting a bad guy at the time, next time I went in, he would try to uh, get some pictures uh, uh, of the, our aircraft landing, which would be kind of cool. But uh, uh, I don't want you to get into trouble, Jan, so uh, don't do it, mate, if, it, uh, if it's going to be of any concern. All right. So what do you think about his question about, okay, uh, yeah, maybe you already got, you guys had discussed this at the meetup. Um, I think this email came in before you actually met up with him personally, um, as far as making the career change at 49 years old. Um, did you, did you have that discussion at all with him, Nick? Yeah, well, we did a little bit, but uh, you know how it is when you've got a big meetup, you can't spend much time with uh, one individual, but we certainly chatted a little. Yeah. Um, 49 is, uh, it's still a quite a reasonable age. I mean, uh, if we retire at uh, 65, that gives him, uh, once he's got himself organized and got a job, probably around 15 years in the industry. Uh, he's got a lovely job at the moment. So, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't think he'd be too concerned if he uh, he couldn't make it. But I think he's looking to uh, switch and perhaps move up a bit. Uh, and uh, I think it's a great idea. Uh, and I certainly think if he picks his company, uh, he could certainly improve his lot in the regionals, and he might even get a stab of a few years uh, in a major airline if he's lucky. I think that the, that possibility would be, um, I think, pretty good. Uh, just realizing that, as Nick mentioned, you know, 65 years old is currently the maximum age uh, to do a Part 121 job in uh, the U.S. So, uh, but I think that, uh, yeah. Go for it if you want to get some experience flying passengers around. I think that uh, you you have time. Absolutely. Yep. And especially if you've already met the requirements. I mean, it's one thing if you're 49 and you're just starting, which I still don't think is completely undoable if or, or impossible if you're highly motivated and have the time just to work through everything. Um, it won't give you as long of a career if you're in that position. I think you just have to be really dedicated and focused and um, have really thought it through and make sure that that's what you you do want to do. But if it's what you want to do, I don't think there's any reason not to. So, yeah. But having all that time requirement and all the other requirements already, then yeah, I don't see why not. What do you think, Dana? I would would say if you've always wanted to do it and uh, have always had the dream, then don't uh, get older and regret not doing it because uh you know you can't change what you've what the past is so you can look to the future and and make the change and not live with regrets so i I would go for it 
There's no reason why at, at this day and age, uh, you're not too old. The age is, is, is not that big of a deal. You'll be able to do it. I, I don't know. I really don't know about the major, or, you know, the, the bigger line route, but certainly you'll certainly uh, get to uh, experience that and, and, and uh, live, live out your dream. Certainly do it. Better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all or whatever, something like that. Yeah, something Sounds like that. Good. Yeah, just, uh, just, just go for it. Absolutely. Life's too short not to. All right, uh, Dana, uh, our good friend George Nolly, Ready for Takeoff podcast, sent in some feedback specifically for you, and it's entitled "Jewish Humor wow. for Dana." And he said, "You may remember the old Jewish Catskill comics of vaudeville days." Shecky Green, Red Buttons, Toady Fields, Joey Bishop, Milton Burrell, Jan Murray, Danny Kay. He's got a long list here. I'll stop there. That is a long list of uh, folks, including Rodney Dangerfield, Don Rickles, Jack Benny, and several others. Um, there was not one single swear word in their comedy. Here are a few examples. I just got back from a pleasure trip. I took my mother-in-law to the airport. Boom, bam. I've been in love with the same woman for 49 years. If my wife ever finds out, she'll kill me. <laughs> uh, here's another one. What are the three words a woman never wants to hear when she's making love? Honey, I'm home. <laughs> anyway. uh, oh, I like this one, too. Uh, someone stole all my credit cards, but I won't be reporting it. The thief spends less than my wife did. <laughs> anyway it goes on several several jokes there i'll uh i'll tell you what i do i'll put this together in a file and uh you can read them at your leisure um and then you can just click on the link in the show notes but george thanks so much for or maybe dana you want to go through and see something that you want to uh, take a stab at as far as the jokes can you see them yeah all right um I have Evernote never came up. See, it's still saying it's loading, so mm -hmm. I don't I don't have access right now. Okay, I, I've got I one that's why. not in the list, but okay. it involves uh, a man and his wife uh, making love, and she's lying uh, on her back in the bed, and she's saying beige, beige, and her husband said, "Pardon, dear." She says, "Beige. I think I'll paint the ceiling beige." <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, the last one on the list is is quite funny, but um, family yeah. show. Yeah, probably. Uh, probably yeah. skip that I mean, one. I, I know me and me and Mikey can can appreciate a lot of those as well. So, if piqued our interest now, Steph, that's not fair. Yeah, well, you'll just have to read it in the it'll, show it'll notes. It'll be in the show notes for your <laughs> the reading pleasure. Show notes. <laughs> Let's see. Um, Anthony sent in a video on YouTube, and he said, uh, Hi, APG crew. This is Anthony. I created my very first flying video on YouTube. I encourage you all to check it out and let me know what you think. And uh, I viewed it myself. Very nice job, Anthony. Um, he compiled several different flights together on a uh, YouTube video. If we played it right now on the show, really all you'd hear is music. So uh, kind of uh, not that interesting, but uh, the video itself is awesome. So I'm going to put that link in the show notes as well. Thanks, Anthony, for sharing it with us. Uh, Christian writes, uh, hi, APG crew. First of all, thank you for the fantastic show you record. It really keeps me encouraged to work hard so that I can be part of the amazing aviation industry. I have a little bit of a question for the Mad Dog pilots of the show. 
In July, I was on an Acme MD-90. For many reasons, we ended up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at 1 a.m. using an Allegiant Airlines-branded jetway. The jetway broke about a foot from the door. Our captain announced that he intended to use the MD-90's rear air stairs and that he would come to the back of the cabin to open it up shortly. After a few minutes, the captain came to the back of the cabin and opened the rear air stairs. Is there a reason that the flight crew has to open the rear air stair? Are cabin crew able to open it as well? Is it difficult to use or open the rear air stairs in a non-emergency situation? Regardless of the reasoning, I really enjoy the unique experience of using the rear air stairs and getting to walk across the ramp near the Mad Dog. Thanks for your answers and your amazing show. Smooth flying, Christian. Dana, you want to tackle this since you fly the airplane? Sure. Um, the uh, the main reason is because they've taken out the axis in the back of the aircraft. Uh, remember DB seventies? He uh, parachuted out of a seven twenty seven, went down the rear air stairs, and, and got off the aircraft. So uh, that's the reason why they've actually de- deactivated the rear air stairs. So the cabin crew does not have access, and there's a specific. Uh, procedure which i won't uh, say because it's uh, probably um close to the heart so it's not out there in the public as to how to do it but there is a specific procedure in which the crew you know either the captain or the first officer can go back there and inspect special technique uh lower the rear air stairs but you've got to be careful back there because there is the uh emergency evacuation handle which would pull if you pull on it and says pull here for exit um if you pull that you're gonna uh blow the tail cone off the airplane which is a much bigger problem uh and more than likely uh, the you know harrisburg is not a regular um well no it is it's a regular md88 station so the uh, ground crew could actually uh, lower the air stairs uh, from the exterior of the aircraft as well right uh, in order to lower the air stairs, all you're doing really is releasing a, uh, a, a latch that's holding it up. Um, you don't need hydraulic pressure to lower them, but you would need hydraulic pressure to raise them back up. Mm-hmm. So um, unique experience. I'm sure it was uh, with the APU running a bit loud, but uh, certainly uh, a, a, a unique experience nonetheless. So I'm a little um, also a difficult. Go ahead. And if we forget about one thing is is the back uh, door also. If you look at the um, the Mad Dog, you'll see on the back flight tent jump seat, there's a um, headrest. And the headrest has to be in a certain position. And if you are not careful, you could actually puncture the ceiling, whereas the emergency lever will also trigger the rear the rear tail cone to come down. So you have to be careful about how you open up the aft tail cone uh, access door as well. So, Right. And for the life of me, I don't know why the captain had to go back there and open it up the way that, uh, that, that Dana and I know how to open it. And it's kind of a convoluted thing. And I've never personally ever activated the stairs that way from the inside of the airplane. I don't know for the life of me why the ground crew didn't open up the access door on the outside of the airplane, which is the normal way that air stairs are lowered and just didn't pull the handle and let the air stairs drop. So um, kind of a head scratcher for me on that one. Uh, And the DB Cooper uh, reference um, is 
as far as them taking out the access to the, uh, the, the cabin access to the air stairs is a little dubious to me because, uh, as you just mentioned, in order for the air stairs actually to lower, um, uh, there's no, there's no hydraulic pressure. It's not, if you're flying this airplane and you activate the air stairs, they're not going to come down because the airstream is going to hold the, the stairs in. You have to, there's no hydraulic pressure actually pushing it down into the windstream. So, I'm, yeah, not like the seven. Not like the seven two seven. Seven two seven. The air stairs actually uh, acted in a way that would support the tail of the aircraft, mm-hmm. um, so it didn't fall on the tail. So yeah, the eighty eight to ninety. Neither one of them actually. The last four steps is a folding step that folds into the airplane because it's not required to support the tail of the aircraft. So you, you are right that you know in the airstream, um, in actually in flight. Uh, there's uh, the the gangplank that actually is is over the air stairs that wa- you know walk into the tail of the aircraft. Normally that is stowed up when the air stairs is down. So in flight that actually looked like you're walking into into no man's land back there. Um, you know I don't know Jeff with the weight of somebody walking down those stairs in yeah, flight because you can lift. I, I don't know I, and I never will find out, but mm-hmm. certainly. Uh, Certainly, it it would not come down on its own flight, and, and the air air pressure would probably you know absolutely keep it in its position. So, yeah. well, um, I guess maybe it is possible to get, actually get out of that uh, opening in flight. I'm not sure, uh, and there must be a good reason for them to have ac- activated or deactivated and basically taken out the cabin access to uh, lowering the stairs. But uh, an interesting. Okay. They're not used very, at least here in this country for most airlines, it's, they're not used frequently, are they? We use them uh, very use them in- often because that's oh, the really? way um, a, a lot of times the cabin cleaning crew will ah. come up in the back. or and, and actually, we don't use them as much as we used to because we used to have a galley in the back. And mm-hmm. they reconfigured the airplanes, at least at Acme, so that the galley is all in the front. So now there's yeah. really no reason to use I, – I very rarely see any – uh, ramp or, or cabin cleaning crew uh, using those stairs anymore, actually, to be honest yeah. with you. The only time I've ever seen them used are at smaller airports where there's not, you know, jet bridge access or anything like that. And you're just trying to get people. Right. On it's, or off the it's nice. Quicker, it's but. nice to be able to have that that option uh, if we go someplace and, you know, we know that we mm-hmm. can actually get the passengers off the airplane without using air stairs or using a jetway bridge. So, you know, it's kind of nice to know that uh, unless you're in a Boeing 717, uh, you'd think that they would have air stairs, too, but they don't. The MD-95 slash 717 does not have air stairs in the back. Um, mm-hmm. And the other interesting well, thing. And, and go ahead. <clears throat> I was going to say, and, and really, if if you think about it, the seven two obviously with the rear air stairs was the true first regional aircraft that could go to all these smaller stations and have the ability to get on and off the aircraft with, without air stairs. But uh, a little known fact about the eighty eight and ninety is that they have. Well, you know, I have to think about that for a second. I don't think the ninety does. There's a Ford air stair hatch right below the Ford main cabin door where there were air stairs in there that you could use the Ford cabin door as well to uh, get on and off the aircraft in small stations. So really the 88 is or the 80 series um, and, the, and the DC-9 were really the first aircraft that were truly designed for uh, going to small regional airports without 
any type of uh, aircraft services. Um, and since then, the forward air steer door, on the, at least on the 88, has been uh, deactivated, bolted shut, and air stairs removed for weight. So, but you know, it, it's just an interesting point about the aircraft that we fly. And occasionally, and I've ne- it's never happened to me in the 15 plus years of flying this airplane, uh, but they say that the actual switch and enunciation for that particular door is actually still, it still works. <laughs> for the life of me, I don't know why they leave it activated, but uh, people have told me that they have gotten the warning that the, uh, the forward air stair door was open or something like that. I'm like, huh? <laughs> really? But um, it's the only non-plug door. Yep. It is not a plug type door. It is the, on the aircraft, every access point on the aircraft, except for the rear stairs, which is not in the pressure bulkhead area. Aircraft is a pressure, is, is, a, um, is a plug type. The only door in the aircraft that is not, and it's in the pressure vessel, is that forward air stair door. Now they've got four bolts holding that door completely shut. So there is the indication, likelihood of that happening is is zero. It's not going anywhere. Is it just me, or is Dana kind of breaking up? Mm, A little. Dana, little. I got most of that. Okay, that's good. I got Uh, got the. Just now, I've just got a question. Uh, are you guys are your cabin crew allowed to open any door uh, anytime they're on the ground and they need to, or uh, is it only the flight crew that can open doors from the inside? I believe it's just the flight crew uh, authorized to open them up um, because even the front door, when the um, when the uh, gate agent pulls the jetway up, uh, they're the ones from the outside of the airplane that actually open the door and close it. Yeah, that, so that's the same with us. And it, it, the reason the, we prefer the out uh, the doors to be open from the outside is because if the door has accidentally been left armed, then the action of opening the door from the outside, assuming it's the same on your time, uh, disarms the door. So there's absolutely no chance of the slide going off uh, and the door emergency <laughs> opening system being activated. Nope, um, it's so, not the same for us. No. No, it's so if someone, that, if, if someone it's still armed, it's going to outside uh, the dog could whack him in the face if the uh, flight attendants have uh, failed to disarm the what we call it girt bar g-i-r-t bar so the process that they have when we're pulling into the gate is you know to disarm the doors and uh, they actually there's a a little uh, piece of strip of metal that is uh, attached to the door itself so that if it's open it pulls the uh, the slide and everything out with it. So they have to disarm and in our airplane <laughs> disarming is not a switch or a lever. It's actually taking that lever, that uh, girt bar away from the clips that are attached to the door and That's putting them old. into the floor itself. It's <laughs> yeah. yes. a little bit old fashioned, low tech, low yeah, tech. very low tech, but there Effective. have, there have been, uh, there have been instances that uh, the door was not, disarmed and the girt bar was actually still engaged in the clips in the door the door is open and guess what yep the the uh slide that, that could be quite Un- dangerous oh very dangerous <laughs> yeah very dangerous. suspecting person on the other side of the door it's yep it can knock you outside. Uh, uh-huh. okay well yeah. uh, and the airbus uh it, when it's moved from the levers moved from the outside if it's been left in armed it will first thing that lever does is to disarm the door so they, we, that's why we like it to be open from the outside um the cabin crew generally are allowed to open the door only the most senior of the cabin crew does 
because although they've all been trained, um, you know, they're, they're perhaps not as experienced in the industry as uh, others. So uh, just to prevent accidental firing of uh, the doors in the armed mode, uh, the only people allowed to open the doors on our aircraft are the flight crew and the senior, the most senior cabin crew members. Unless you're a jet, I mean, unless you're a particular airline flight attendant, grabs a few bottles of wine, a few bottles of liquor, opens the door and, and gets off the aircraft and runs away and quits your job. Yeah. Down oh, that's true, JetBlue. But I think it was, to be fair on him, it was one beer. So yeah, I don't know stealing the whole bar. <laughs> <laughs> Hardly worth the effort. I know. Um, I would have taken the whole cart with me. <laughs> so uh, it's a bit hard to get on the slide. <laughs> getting back to the air stairs, uh, an interesting thing that happened. Uh, many of us as uh, had the same experience. Uh, of being displaced uh, from the 727 when we started retiring them. And many of us opted to go to the Mad Dog. And we, our experience with the air stairs, on the, as, as Dana mentioned, uh, on the 727, that was actually a structural thing. I mean, that those air stairs had to be down before you did passenger loading and unloading because it affected the center of gravity of the airplane. And depending on what the fuel load and cargo load was, it was possible for the airplane to actually tip up on its or tip back on its tail and the nose come up. And that's not a good thing. So uh, many of us, when we made the transition to the to the um, McDonnell Douglas product, uh, still thought in our head that, oh, we can't board the airplane right now because the air stairs are still up, you know, and some guys would actually pretty, you know, get freaked out about it. And then you'd have to remind them, no, 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 that's, that's not the same thing as the, you know, the 727, this is different. And it's just, those aren't structural at all. They're just kind of hanging down. So anyway, thought I'd mention that. Uh, thank you, Christian, for your just great hanging question. Down. I know. Just I was hanging down. <laughs> just going to leave that comment yeah. alone. <laughs> thank you. That's what she said. Yes, that is what she said. Uh, and if you put any pressure on it, it would retract. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. definitely what she said. Okay, here we go. That's what she said. There you go. You happy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots. Um, let's see. Uh, ben uh, sent this in for us. As I'm a Kiwi, there isn't much available in Kiwi Aviation Podcast, so I'm forced to listen to this one. <laughs> Actually, I can't put that in there. Uh, he, he didn't say that. He, he said uh, there isn't much available in Kiwi Ave. I just kind of read right. between the lines and what he was implying, I think. Anyway, he says, I really enjoy your podcast. Now, for a couple of questions. Number one, as I'm too young to go solo currently, my parents think I will make a hash of a landing. Are there any suggestions from the APG crew on how to change my parents' minds? Um. I'd say that uh, they're probably right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I would say I think you're going to. Oh, God. I'm uh, just a kid. I was just kidding around. I'm sorry. I would say that age age is no uh, precursor to doing a hash landing. I, I mean, I'm 63 and I'm still doing hash landing. <laughs> even hash, I was going to say even hash shave jobs too. Yep. Before Hashtag. before they send you out to go on your first solo flight, you're going to have practiced landings to the point where they are safe and acceptable. So that would be the first thing to tell your parents not to worry that you're just going to be sent out there confident and comfortable in what you're doing and signed off by someone who um, can vouch for all of that. So. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, if you haven't done a few bad landings in your life, you haven't lived. You have not lived. Exactly. <laughs> it's so much fun. 
No, exactly. Apologising to everyone, apologising to the passengers, to the first officer, to the rest of the crew. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's it's just it's just like being a doctor. You know, if you look at a doctor, they're all in the in in the in the careful practice. No, 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 let him let him talk. Let him dig his hole. Come on, (laughs) I'm digging my hole. You know, doctors are always practicing medicine, right? There's no exact science to it. Well, except for Dr. Seth with the exact needle placement. Yes, but there's some there's, exact, there, yeah. there's, there's no science to medicine. Art. There's an art. Exact science. There's an art to it. There is a certain art, but there's also a certain art to landing. We're all practicing our landings. Yeah, every single time we land, it's a practice landing. And remember this. If it doesn't look right, you can, you can always, always oh, go around. You can always. Sorry, I didn't give you enough. No. Coming down. Don't wait until your sliding on the ground. You can always go around. I know back when. All right. Which was what my first officer was saying to me all the way down the Canazi last night. <laughs> you know what? And I know. Is that he a little nervous? <laughs> I know well, that. He'd, he'd, only, he'd only ever seen one. I don't think he'd ever flown one. And uh, and we had uh, we had a good like twenty five knot tailwind down the Canazi, uh, which meant it was going to turn into a bit of a crosswind when we landed. So uh, you know it's just one of those things in the back of your mind because you know when you got twenty five knots of a sort of a, uh, slackening crosswind, if you if you roll out on the center line, you know you're going to drift immediately downwind. So you actually have to roll out a little upwind and then make sure the nose is crabbed into wind uh, so that when you get the wings level, it sits there and doesn't start drifting off the center line. You haven't got long to think about it. So it was quite interesting. I know I'm not the only one out there listening to the show and probably not even the only one amongst the APG crew that hears that song playing in our minds when we're coming in for landing you know and especially when things are are like not working out (laughs) what's that i was on my motorcycle today and i have (laughs) my bows the same ones i have here now i have because my other ones i just said send back because they i have my bows active noise reduction because it makes the the motorcycle's noise go away a whole lot and and i'm listening to the apg show and i'm thinking to myself you can oh, <laughs> as I'm riding my motorcycle. It was, it was, yeah, but you yeah, can't go around on your motorcycle. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, uh, Liz yes, brought up a yes, very actually, valid Jake, point. You can go around on my motorcycle. You okay. can go around the block if you miss your. You know, if you're not going to make uh, your turn. Or I can go around. Exams. I can go around the. the uh, you know, uh, there's certain words I can't use that cut me off. Yeah, I can go around them, hopefully, and then uh-huh. I can go around the pothole, and I can go around the, the manhole, and I can go around. Yeah, so that was going through my mind the entire time on my motorcycle. Okay. I okay. guess I have the APG syndrome. I'll grant that then. Okay, what were you saying, Steph, about uh, Rebecca? No, I said Liz just meant that she was singing it to herself when she was going around the block. So <laughs> okay. you can use it. Okay, well, I stand corrected, or sit corrected, actually, at this moment. Um, okay, well... Uh, Let's see. Right, good feedback from Mr. Marling, Ben Marling. Yeah, you know what? He had a second question. We, no, we right. haven't even finished it. Yeah. 
As I'm in the New Zealand CF, what's that? Air Training Corps. New Zealand Cadet Force. Cadet Force Training Corps. We get, I would guess. Yeah, I think you must be right. You must be right. Uh, we get to fly a variety of aircraft, but my squadron, 23, has only ever been able to fly a Tomahawk. Is there something better about the Tomahawk that in my three years of flying and over 25 hours that I'm missing? Say flying. Good Lord, you got 25 hours in a... Wow, that's that, That's a good cadet force, that is, that organizes him that much flying. I'm impressed. What's a Tomahawk? It is a trainer uh, made yeah, by... Small, <laughs> yeah, I kind of worked that one out. <laughs> okay, I think I'll let Steph uh, let it, uh, inform us. It's a, it's a small, single-engine piston aircraft. With a T-tail, right? Frequently, with... Um, you know what? I, have I think to it has like a You're best qualified to answer this. Time. I have to look at a picture of one because I haven't looked at one in a long time. Um, but it has a lot of nicknames, ever... doesn't it? It does. It does. Um, <laughs> what are some of them? Nice ones. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to. I mean, yeah, it doesn't have this reputation for. No, that's not what I wanted. Hold on. I'm just trying to get a picture of it. Okay. The New Zealanders have some great nicknames for their airplanes. I'm surprised he hasn't given us the Tomahawk one. They're, uh, they're Jet Provis. They used to, uh, which they bought from the Air Force. They might have built them in country. I don't know. They used to call it the Blunty because it's, <laughs> it's got a rather rounded yeah. nose. Oh, the the uh, nickname is the Tramahawk. Tramahawk. Uh, that's uh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's actually, I was trying to think of which uh, Piper it is. Piper PA 38 Yeah. And it does have a detail. Does have a T tail, two seat, fixed tricycle gear. Yep. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, uh, the, yeah, it was used a lot for flight training, basically. And so, I might point out that his squadron, number 23 <sighs> squadron in the uh, RAF, was a Phantom squadron. Good number. Excellent. So, uh, okay, I've been, I have to interrupt you. I've been saying trauma hawk since we started talking about this, but I didn't realize. I was Were on you mute. muted? Yeah, I was muted. <laughs> <laughs> Were you yelling? Like, this, Why can't this, they this hear me? Hawk. Like, this is Trump Hawk. Why can't you guys like, hear me? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not a very nice one. Are you sure you're an airline pilot, uh, Dana? Oh, you know how many PAs Dana makes to his passengers but doesn't realize that he's not yeah. talking to them? <laughs> and the captain just looks over at him and just smiles. Yeah, nice. like, that was nice. <laughs> no, the captain looks over at me and says, that's the best PA I've heard all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah so ben thanks for well, the, the uh, problem is is that the problem is when you don't move the window at all the google like which shows that the video is on and off and with the mic is on and off it disappears mm -hmm. so like right now i i don't have all i see is live and in, in, in our four photo you know videos and and then until i move my mouse it doesn't show with my I'm muted if, you, if you look down at the very bottom where it's the four small pictures, it will show you. Mute yourself and see if you see it down there. Obviously, he's muted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So yes, I see the red, red little uh, microphone. The yeah. All right. So there you go. Safety the obvious. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm muted now. Sometimes it's in the details, you know. <laughs> I'll just mute it yeah. now. I'm done. Bye bye. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, Dana. It's almost as complicated as rocket science. <laughs> no, it's almost as complicated as operating an Airbus. Gonads are useful for their purpose, but they are no substitute for brains. Okay. Um, no, Captain L, I've never spun a PA-38, and I have no intentions to ever do it. I don't know if we actually uh, answered his question. Is there something better about the Tomahawk than, like, 
say, a C, a Cessna 150 or 152? I don't think there is. I don't think it really matters. Yeah. Um, it's an airplane and it flies and it serves the same purpose as the rest of them. Yeah. So, so there's going to be little differences between all of them. So I guess the answer is no. You haven't missed anything. And Ben, good luck with convincing your parents to solo. I'm sure you'll be able to figure it out and uh, you'll you'll do fine. Yes. And best of luck. Keep us updated. Yes. So. Um, oh, he says there's a good rib place down the road. So. Oh, yeah. That's true. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm tomorrow, I'm going to, not going to go back to the UK. I'm going to take my airplane to New Zealand and visit your rib place, mate. So get it all teed up for me, will you? Hey, Captain Al, I do not have a death wish. I'm responding <laughs> to, I'm responding to his comment in the chat room that I can't say. Okay, yeah, here. please don't read everything that he's writing. I will not. Room. I promise I'm not going <laughs> to say that. But I'm responding that I don't have a death wish. Okay. Uh, moving on, as uh, as Matt Smith from the PTUK likes to say. Moving on, moving on, family show. Uh, Paul writes, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only listener who will send you this. Actually, I think that he was the only, as far as I know, maybe somebody over there in the other email thing <laughs> did. But uh, he sends us a link to an article from Slate uh, about, uh, well, the title of it is How We Ruined Airline Jobs. He says, I'm a listener from Medellin, Colombia, and I live close enough to the JMC Rio Negro International Airport to see aircraft on final approach and departure. It's Airbus country down here, with most of the aircraft being 320s, 319s, 318s, and 321s. And thank you for not using apostrophes in those. That was perfect. Great, Paul. Thank you. Perhaps as an idea for a segment would be to have your listeners around the world describe their local aviation scene. Colombia, for example, within the intertropical convergence zone, has challenging weather approaches and high altitude airports. But I bet it's beautiful. Uh, anyway, that's again, that's Paul Maine, M-A-Y-N-E. Thank you for sending in this uh, this link to this uh, article. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but as I mentioned, it's from Slate magazine or the slate um, website and uh, i'll just start off with uh, the very first part of the thing working in aviation has lost its glamour it happened and we say that all the time it's a glamorous lifestyle um it is it happened because the law gave carriers every advantage over their workforces and because we demanded lower airfare and this is by uh, the author's jeff friedrich and uh, he said, nobody wants to be a pilot anymore. As the airlines tell it, a so-called pilot shortage has made it impossible to staff their fleets, forcing them to cancel flights and park hundreds of airworthy airplanes in the desert. One airline ventured to blame its 2016 bankruptcy on its inability to hire enough pilots. And even at always profitable, profitable and carefree Southwest Airlines, the challenge of recruiting millennial aviators keeps middle management awake at night. The biggest problem, a Southwest executive told Bloomberg, is a general lack of interest in folks pursuing this as a career anymore. And then he goes on in the article to talk about why it is that nobody seems to be interested in doing this job anymore. Of course, we're seeing now that this is uh, possibly turning around. But um, as we've mentioned also many times in the show, it may be, um, you know, a little bit too late uh, that they, they should have realized by by making this job not so 
enjoyable and uh, lucrative uh, years ago uh, while they were making or trying to stay alive or make profits. Uh, they ended up uh, shooting themselves in the foot and making it such that nobody really wants to fly airplanes when they can do some other job out there that makes much better money and has better benefits. And if they are still have a passion for flying, they can go out to their local FBO and rent an airplane or buy their own and fly themselves. Uh, what do you all think? Did you had a, have a chance to read this article at all? Anyone? Oh, yeah. I read it with great interest, Jeff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I like his analysis of the uh, the strengths and weaknesses of uh, Chapter 11, how uh, although it did save some airlines, it also allowed other airlines to uh, use the facilities in it to take advantage um, uh, in various ways, which he explains quite well, and I'm wouldn't be able to do nearly as well. And uh, also how uh, the big airlines have really got the regionals uh, uh, under their thumb and the contracts which they force them to accept uh, make the regionals uh, very difficult, makes it very difficult for them to create a profit, which obviously reflects then on their pilot pay, which therefore reflects on recruitment and that enormous uh, pool of pilots that were waiting in those regionals to get up into the majors is becoming smaller and smaller as the regionals now find that the conditions of service for their pilots are so poor that uh, quite rightly no one wants to take it up as a career anymore yep it's a good read by the way um we'll put a link to this article in the show notes for you to read it as well but uh, he's spot on in so many ways um you know why this whatever you want to call it, pilot shortage or lack of pilots willing to do this work for the wages and benefits that are existent now. Uh, to me, it means the same thing. We're, we can't find good, qualified people uh, to fill all of the jobs that are out there to be filled. So Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I didn't get a chance to read the whole article, but just, you know, the first few points he makes, especially the kind of the summary about how, you know, the way things have become restructured to give the the companies um, the advantage and and be able to dictate their own terms and policies. I see a lot of similarities there with the way medicine has gone these days too. So um, I'm definitely going to read this article because there's a lot to be gained from it, I think, at least for going I forward. Think a, I think it's the same one I actually read on uh, Facebook and shared. Um, I didn't, you know, I haven't read it as of yet, but from, you know, what the conversation in, in, in describing it, um, you know, there's, there's some background there. I, I think there's some, some information there that's absolutely correct. I think some of it's a little jaded towards the fact that uh, I don't think this person enjoyed what they did. Um, I, I really think this pilot shortage is absolutely here. However, there's going to be some, there's always fluctuations in this business. Um, and I see a bit of a downturn coming in it, so it, it, it will self-correct itself a little bit. But, yeah, I, I really think I, I agree with most of what this article says um, about the fact that we are, we are, we're hurting, and worldwide we're hurting. Um, there's never been a draw on, on uh, pilots like this throughout the world as there is today. So I think we're going to see uh, – we could see some shrinkage in the airlines. I really do, especially in the United States. Yeah. yeah I see the smirk on your, your, your face, Dr. Steph. That's Sorry. not what I was talking about. I know. 
I'm a so, <laughs> child so at heart. It is possible that you will see some shrinkage. Um, yeah. That's what she said. So, thank you. No, that's what George Cassandra said. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, the, another great episode, by the way. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so I, I, well, we could, we could talk uh, for hours on this subject. So why don't you look at the link in the show notes right now and click on it and read it yourself and uh, see what you think. I think most of you will agree with uh, the writer's um, thoughts on this subject. Um, Walt, let's move on. Uh, Walt uh, says, I've been listening to ABG for three years, so I'm totally addicted, as uh, are most of your fans. Thanks so much for your podcast. I started flying in the 60s as a teenager and eventually earned my private pilot's license and about 300 hours. The cost of flying got the best of me, so I went to sea. I earned a U.S. Coast Guard, Merchant Navy, and Nixpeak master's license and spent the next 40 years or so sailing a variety of ships around the world. I never lost my love of flying, and after a million or two miles of flying worldwide as a passenger, plenty on Acme and Acme Red, I'm getting reacquainted with general aviation again in a friend's Cessna 185. Your discussion of CRM, uh, cockpit resource management or crew resource management or whatever they're calling it now, uh, is especially interesting since we went through the same training with our bridge recourse management program in the early 90s. Breaking the captain is God conditioning we all learned from the beginning was difficult, but eventually it happened, at least to some degree, depending on your company. I presume the same went on in the airline world. Yes, I would be interested in your view. I've always thought that my early introduction to airline uh, aviation made training for a career at sea so much easier. If I had the same choice today, I think I would probably have stayed with flying, but that's history now. I can't complain since a career at sea has been very good to me as well. Donation to the coffee fund is on the way. Thanks again. Walt. Yes, Walt uh, is one of the uh, folks that we mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show that he uh, made a nice contribution to our coffee fund, uh, coffee fund. And uh, we do appreciate that. Um, CRM is uh, something that I think a lot of uh, different fields are are taking advantage of. But specifically your question about the captain is God kind of thing. Yes, we have made that same transition in the airline world. And when I was first hired by Acme uh, almost 30 years ago, uh, there was still a little bit of some of that left um, with the uh, the older folks in the seniority list and uh, but within a few years most of us left over were coming from backgrounds where the uh, the captain is king or captain is god uh, kind of style of um, managing the the resources of your crew were were kind of waning uh, a lot of us came from the military at Acme at, back at, in those days at least in the late or the mid to late 80s and 90s and um we were used to that new way of thinking about uh, managing resources in the cockpit and, you know, getting input from everybody and, and uh, not being just a single solo person in there and making everybody, you know, do whatever you tell them to do. Uh, but, you know, you know, occasionally you would hear stories about folks like that. And guess what? The, some of those kind of personalities are still out there, uh, even young people. Uh, so I think that there's a certain percentage of people that have that kind of uh, – that that kind of personality and and uh, style of management, or uh, I hate to use the word leadership in this case, but um, that's the uh, that's still out there a little bit, but to a much uh, smaller degree than uh, it was uh, a few decades back 
Um, anything that you want to input about that? Uh, I know that uh, the same can be said about the the medical um, world as well, Steph, right? Uh, yeah, there. absolutely. You know, it applies a lot to um, especially procedural stuff. There's a lot of checks and balances there and everyone's encouraged to speak up and make sure that um, we're all on the same page and doing what's supposed to be done. So. And there's a, a lot of training and reminders that if you're the one who's perhaps in the more of the command role there, if you're the physician, if you're the one doing the procedure, to be receptive to um, feedback and questioning. You know, it's, it's that whole practice with a questioning attitude. And I think that applies to so many things in life. It's not just aviation or medicine anymore. And I think it's we're all better off for it. So. Yeah, I think there's two main areas that has affected our safety. Uh, first of all, uh, yeah, the captains are almost certainly uh, more responsive, more um, able to now train to listen to every voice, whether it actually comes from the cabin crew, the back of the cabin, the most junior girl who's seen something, uh, to uh, you know everyone on the crew, and gives them an ear so that in vital information doesn't uh, you know uh, get missed but more importantly i think uh, the first officers uh, now feel empowered to be able to confront a, uh, a captain who is quite obviously doing the wrong thing uh, either with a baseball bat or perhaps more conventionally <laughs> with um to affirm uh, no captain you're wrong or yeah, no, no, yeah, <laughs> we're not doing this right. You know, with I got to go around, or you're going to have to give me control, or you know, they, they feel able, uh, so they know they will be backed up by uh, the system now. Whereas in the old days, if you'd if a junior first officer had taken on a captain who he could see was obviously making a mistake, uh, he would probably have been chastised for it. But those days and, are gone. And even in general aviation flying. Um, would I, if I have passengers with me, I will brief them that, you know, they're, they have a set of eyes and ears as well, and they can speak up and, and bring things to my attention if they notice something that they think is of concern or importance. Um, and I certainly want them to be on the lookout for other air traffic. And, you know, just because you see it, don't assume that I saw it as well. Um, so I want people to feel empowered to be able to give feedback. So, What do you think, Dana? Unmute. 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 <laughs> well, he's talking up a storm. It's a very quiet. But we just can't hear what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. You know, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hear me saying unmute. Unmute. <laughs> he said it like three times. Yeah, there I heard him. I, I was just saying that I'm still responding to that that comment from Captain Allen. I just put some stuff into the live chat room, so um, I'm, I have nothing to say right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you guys, you got you guys answered just fine. Any any re any reflection on what we were actually talking about? Or uh, okay, I see you're you were just no no concentrating. To, yeah. Okay. I was concentrating on something else. Okay. He reminds me of the guy yeah, in the, class, don't worry about the, in the show, back of the class. Fine. Dana, Dana, what? pay attention up here. <laughs> well, I hate being called something. I was called. I was called a derogatory remark. Oh well, if it was from anybody in the chat room, I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> especially Captain L. Yeah, especially Captain L. We love you. Captain. He calls all. He calls us all things, and we just terms kind of, of endearment, <laughs> really. Whatever. Really. <laughs> just 
He's just trying to get your goat. I don't know uh, if you have I, a goat, I, but he's it, trying to get it. It's 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 okay. I went out to the POH and I got the answer to the question. So Okay. Well, uh that's certainly interesting. Uh let's see. Let's um Ah, continue with uh, oh, so, wait, uh, Walt. Um, thank you for your uh, your feedback. Thanks for uh, being a, a listener of our show for the last three years, and um, we're glad to hear that you're enjoying it. And um, again, thank you for your contribution to the coffee fund. And uh, let's move on with uh, you know what we should do now. This would be about the right time for us to play this week's installment of. Plain Tales. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales. The Plain People. None of what follows are my words. This is a mosaic, a montage from a terrifying day some 16 years ago. However, from the horror, came something very special. They codenamed it Operation Yellow Ribbon. It was the system hastily set up to keep track of the 224 diverted planes and the more than 33,000 displaced passengers on board. One by one, the planes landed in places with names unfamiliar to many of the unexpected guests. Goose Bay, Gander and Stephenville and larger centres such as Moncton, St. John's, Halifax, Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary and Vancouver. The smaller airports had not been built to accommodate such large numbers of additional aircraft, so the planes were directed away from the terminal buildings and onto the runways where they were stacked up. When they were allowed to disembark, men could only bring what was in their pockets. Women were allowed to carry with them one very small purse. Medication, toiletries and other personal items were left behind. As soon as word spread that flights were being diverted their way, St John's Mayor Dennis O'Keefe said, All of the agencies, the Salvation Army, the provincial government and the private sector, mobilised in terms of providing food and basic necessities like blankets and toothpaste, the usual things we need in our everyday lives. When the hungry and tired passengers disembarked, they were met by townspeople who had made mountains of hand-wrapped peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and provided doughnuts, apples and oranges. The Kaplans were escorted to a frigid ice-skating rink, Mile One Stadium, where the Montreal Canadiens practice. The Red Cross bought them blankets. The stadium's new scoreboard played first CBC, then CNN news coverage, as passengers walked in and were seated. There were gasps as the images from New York filled the screen. We were about five hours out of Frankfurt, flying over the North Atlantic, and all of a sudden I was told to go to the cockpit to see the captain. As soon as I got there, I noticed the crew had one of those all-business looks on their faces. The captain handed me a printed message. It was from Atlanta, addressed to our flight, and simply said, All airways over the continental US are closed. Land ASAP at the nearest airport. Advise your destination. We knew it was a serious situation, and we needed to find terra firma quickly. 
It was quickly decided that the nearest airport was 400 miles away behind our right shoulder, in the town of Gander, on the Canadian island of Newfoundland. A quick request was made to the Canadian traffic controller, and a turn to Gander was approved immediately. We found out later why there was no hesitation by the Canadian controller approving our request. We were told to get the airplane ready for an immediate landing. While this was going on, another message arrived from Atlanta, telling us about some terrorist activity in the New York area. A few minutes later, I went back to the cockpit to find out that some aeroplanes had been hijacked and were being flown into buildings. Our 218 passengers ended up in a town called Lewisport, a while away from Gander. They were put in a high school. If any women wanted to be in a women-only facility, that was arranged. Families were kept together. All the elderly passengers were taken to private homes. A young pregnant lady was put up in a private home right across the street from a 24-hour urgent care facility. The locals were so friendly, and they just knew that we were the plain people. Dear Halifax, my name is John Gwydon, and I was the first officer on US Airways Flight 893, departed Frankfurt, Germany, bound for Philadelphia. We are so thankful that we found a safe haven in Charlie Yankee Hotel Zulu. My entire crew wishes to thank the people of Halifax for their extraordinary effort in providing for us in our hour of need. The support that everyone gave us would have been hard to imagine. It was truly a remarkable performance. Certainly none of us will ever forget the terrible events surrounding September the 11th, 2001. But similarly, we will never forget the sincere hospitality that was given to us by the Canadian people. We salute you. Our sincerest thanks for a job well done. The pilot who bought United Airlines Flight 876 to an emergency landing in Yellowknife on September the 11th still has a special place in his heart for this city. Captain Ron Gear was forced to land his Boeing 777 here with 143 passengers and 17 crew aboard after all air travel in Canada and the US was suspended and planes were forced to land wherever they could following a series of world-changing terrorist attacks that struck the US. He wrote to the Yellow Knifer Sunday, 10 years later, thanking the community for its support. With all the horror taking place in our United States, you made this time more bearable for all of us. I want to personally thank Halifax for opening its doors to all the stranded travellers. It was a comfort to know that my sister-in-law was well taken care of and treated so well. She is blind and does not particularly like to fly, and to have an incident as grave as this without the benefit of seeing what is going on made everything just a little bit different, and that is much more difficult. She is home safely now in Houston, Texas, and I just feel compelled to send you this message of deepest thanks for taking care of Jan and all the passengers that were coming home to America or coming to visit the greatest country in the world. We are all good people, and you in Halifax have shown your everyday face of goodness and heart in an international format. During this crisis, your everyday spirit of goodwill has taken on a more overt posture that I hope will be recognized by many. My direct thank you 
to the Timmins family. May God bless Canada, America, and all freedom-loving people in the world. Again, my personal thanks to you, Halifax. Sincerely, a sister-in-law. Halifax International Airport Authority. I was a first officer on Delta Flight 39 from Amsterdam to Atlanta when we were diverted to Halifax on September the 11th. Needless to say, it was a total shock to us, the crew members and the passengers, when we found out what had happened in New York. You had approximately 47 aircraft, with between six to 10,000 people arrive unexpectedly in a brief time in distressed state of uncertainty. We waited for about nine hours for our turn to get deplaned. Air Canada operations kept us informed as best they could of intentions for handling such a huge operation. While we waited, our labs were serviced and water and snacks were brought out to the aircraft. Human contact meant a lot to us at that time. Our passengers were directed to a gate for processing and transportation. Our flight crew was met by an Air Canada representative who took us to a special area where they had food and water available and where we could call our loved ones. We were taken by a couple of volunteers from a local church in their church van to the Lord Nelson Hotel. Their staff greeted us warmly and got us into our rooms quickly after an 18-hour stressful day. When we departed on September the 13th, the airport security had obviously been strengthened, but all your people were thorough while also being considerate. Our passengers told us stories of how they had been taken into individuals' homes and how well they had been treated by them and the community. While we were in your town for the two days, everyone was friendly, compassionate and understanding. We enjoyed seeing your beautiful city, even though it was under less than desirable circumstances. I want to thank everyone at the airport, the Air Canada personnel who volunteered to come in and assist, the agents, operations personnel, caterers, cargo personnel, fuelers and ramp personnel, the Royal Mounted Canadian Police, the emergency medical personnel, airport security customs and immigration and the many others who assisted at the airport. I also want to thank your community and its volunteers who assisted at the gymnasium and schools to shelter our passengers, those who took them into their homes, and the countless of other ways the people of Halifax helped us. It was a tremendous demonstration of the organisation and sacrifice by you. President Bush has been saying that this is a time for the people of the United States to stand together and help each other but I want to say thank you, the people of Halifax and Canada, for helping us and standing with us in this time of need. Thankfully, Glenn Bingham, First Officer, Delta Airlines, Flight 39. I wanted to write and thank everyone at Halifax for their unending patience, good humour, helpfulness and professionalism during our stay with you. I was a crew member on the BA-123 heading to JFK, and your fabulous staff made our stay so much easier to cope with. I know many of you who worked for days with very little sleep, unbelievable stress, 8,000 passengers to look after. They loved the dog show, by the way, as well as the crew. I can think of nowhere else we would have been so well treated. My heartfelt thanks for all that you did for us. You are the best, Carol. 
It is with pride that I, out here on Vancouver Island, hear of the great hospitality and helpfulness of my fellow Nova Scotians, and indeed all Maritimers, which has been extended to the people of the world. In a time of great need and despair, Maritimers have once again shown their true selves. They are a warm, hospitable, helpful, and just downright friendly people. Don't we all wish we could say that, especially now? My maritime and Nova Scotian pride shines once again. Go in peace, David Walsh. Krista, folks, who had just become a grandmother, was on one of those planes. She was returning from a solo trip to visit her family in Germany and was on her way back to Norfolk when her plane diverted to Gander, said her daughter-in-law, Amy Folks. The family was frantic, wondering whether Grandma was okay. She was. She had a fantastic experience there. Everyone treated her very well. Amy Folks said her mother-in-law, who had just turned 80, was on the road again and couldn't be reached to tell the story herself. But Amy and the rest of the family remember that their matriarch was shown kindness, comfort and compassion in those fraught days. The people of Gander and surrounding fishing villages filled their schools, community rooms and churches with cots for Krista Folks and the other stranded passengers. The town's bus drivers, who were on strike that day, walked off their picket lines and went back to work. Bakeries went into overdrive production, hospitals staffed up, and many of the townspeople opened their homes and offered their beds to the plain people. Among the tens of thousands of foreign nationals who suddenly found themselves stranded in Canada on September 11th, Pat Ryan had an urgent need to get back home to the United States. For Ryan, home was Chicago, where he served as head of a company whose operations include providing grief counsellors after air tragedies. Ryan's second largest office was in New York at Two World Trade Center, which was home to approximately 1,200 workers. On September the 11th, his company lost 200 employees. On the day the terrorists struck, Ryan was in Deer Lake, Newfoundland, and although he had a company plane, he couldn't get out. He explained the situation and appealed for clearance so that his plane could fly. Dale Leahy, superintendent of aviation operations, remembers taking the call. He got off the phone and went up to John Reed, who was directing the Sitzen's response to the crisis. I need approval, Leahy said explaining that Ryan and his team are amongst the best grief counsellors for aviation accidents in the world. I think this is a really important case. Whitehorse Air Traffic Control Specialist David White was glued to his television on morning of uh, September the 11th, trying to absorb the horrible events in New York and Washington just before heading off to work. As he watched, he reflected on the isolation of his northern community, and his own sense of remoteness from all the activities down south. That was about to change, and fast. White received a call from NORAD, informing him that two Korean airline flights, one filled with passengers and the other loaded with cargo, both 747s, were heading to White Horse Airport, and they were being escorted in by a pair of CF-18 fighter jets. In the maze of confusing rumours that day, there were indications that one of the Korean planes might have been hijacked. 
Within 30 minutes of receiving the call from NORAD, the Korean planes were on the ground and taxied to a stop. It took several hours to sort things out, but in the end there had been no hijacking, just an unsettling communications mix-up at a very inopportune moment. Once the threat was diffused, the passengers were quickly taken in as guests of the people of Whitehorse. I know that you can't ask for any better neighbours or friends than the people of Canada. As we look back on that dark day, we remember not only those who we lost, but also recognise the friendships that were strengthened and the hospitality of our neighbours to the north, who aided American passengers in our hour of need. As if the place inside the Situation Centre wasn't frenetic enough, somebody gave out on national television the phone number that was being used. Lacause had two phones going at the same time and couldn't take the call, so Valerie Dufour took it instead. Lacause's wife was on the other end of the line. September the 11th was his wedding anniversary. Dufour slipped the message to her colleague. It's your wife. She just wants you to know she loves you. Wow, those are moving. Nice, nice job once again, Captain Nick. And by the way, the audio quality on that is, uh, I don't know what it is, but it's just awesome. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it, it's lovely. Uh, that was an easy one for me to tell because there are just so many wonderful stories from uh, uh, the people who were diverted on that day. And of course, there's a huge amount of horror associated with that story. But uh, the, the thing that lifts my heart is hearing the, uh, the wonderful stories of friendship and uh, how people turned out, how people uh, just, uh, you know, did fantastic things, not only at the site itself, of course, where uh, just an enormous amount of uh, effort was made to try and save lives, and of course a lot of lives lost, but elsewhere in the world where the ramifications were felt for thousands of miles. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, you know, you see the best of humanity at the worst of times sometimes, so. Oh, well said. Well said, Steph. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And Liz says uh, she, again, highly recommends the Broadway musical Come From Away, playing now. It's all about the playing people. So if you're, I guess, still playing on Broadway. I believe so. It Didn't it win uh, the Best Musical of the Year award? So uh, it must be very special. Yeah. Uh, maybe next time I'm in New York, I'll be able to catch that if it's still playing. Well, I'm here now, but unfortunately, I don't have time to pop out and see it. Well, you got to have your priorities, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, APG getting in the way of everything again. Uh, I know. Sorry. Of course. <laughs> well, if we'd started on time, of course, that would have been easy. All right, moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's all right. We'll get them back. Sylvia uh, <laughs> writes. Uh, your, short, your show is enjoyable, helpful, packed with valuable perspectives. Ooh, I think you must be writing to the wrong show. No? Go forward oh. your uh, email yeah. on to the appropriate recipient. <laughs> yeah, PPT UK or Airline Geeks must be one of those he's talking yeah. about. You should do that. Let's talk about Captain Nick and uh, Steph because clearly 
Well, I think, you know what? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Look, I'm going to read a little bit more. He is talking about this show. I really enjoy the old pilot's plane tales and Nick's talent in producing them. Currently, I am only an aviation enthusiast, hoping that one day I will call the skies my office. I have to ask, number one, what are the ramifications of having to declare an alternate after a couple of missed approaches where you had to go around? And how much pressure does it carry with it? And two, how about an international flight uh, having to divert to a different airport and possibly a different country? Oh, this is this is kind of uh, good timing right here compared to or uh, in conjunction with plane tails and uh, all the diversions that happened there, uh, especially the second question that he asks there, uh, Nick. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And uh, the, one of the funny things is that I don't know about you, Jeff, but in my uh, uh, experience, diversions are fairly rare. Um, I think I probably diverted twice, perhaps three times. Um, and so, and that's in 23 years. So it's not like it's something you, you practice regularly. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's an interesting one. And often uh, you're in a position, um, uh, or not in a position, I should say, really, of having a great deal of fuel. Um, our diversion fuel is based uh, on the amount of fuel it takes you to get to where you, you're diverting to and landing. Uh, and then all you've got left at that point is uh, your final reserve fuel, which is the absolute legal minimum that you're allowed to fly around with. Um, so, and that is the last 30 minutes of fuel you've got left on the airplane. So if you, if you divert at the lowest uh, fuel you can make that decision at. So at your, your, you know, your diversion fuel is say 5.8 tons and you wait until 5.8 tons and divert, then you're going to be very tight for gas when you're going to get where you're going. And it's going to be quite a tense uh, little period. Um, you can't afford to allow air traffic to miss you about too much because every little, um, deviation from more or less from a straight line is going to cost you fuel and you haven't got that much spare to uh, eat into. Um, so it usually involves declaring an emergency if you're down at that minimum fuel level uh, and clearing a path to allow you to go from A to B in a very straight and expeditious manner and hopefully land off the very first approach. The other problem is that instead of going to an airfield you're well familiar with, Certainly uh, on short-haul operations, you might well have uh, gone to a diversion airfield because it might well be one of your regular landing points. But for me on long-haul, no, it's not. Uh, we always land at the major international airport in a city, and if we divert, it's to somewhere we've, generally speaking, never been to before. So the first time you the cloud and see it uh, is the first time you're going to land there. So uh, you're probably in a bit of a rush to... Uh, get the plates up, get the information up, have a quick read about what kind of approaches it's got. I mean, you should have a vague idea because any sensible pilot will always have looked at the diversions that he is, might use. And if you get into the situation when you think you might divert, you've got to start pulling up those pages and start pre-briefing yourself, preparing yourself. So that's what any good pilot does. And having said that, generally speaking, you're going to try and 
divert with a bit more than the absolute minimum fuel. So you've got a little bit of spare on the way, but doesn't necessarily always work that way. So it's it's pretty unfamiliar territory for a lot of us when we uh, divert. Uh, and uh, certainly if your diversion is in a different country, um, yeah, well, once you've declared an emergency, uh, air traffic are going to be pretty understanding and they're they're going to let you in and let you land. And that is often if you, once you're safely on the ground, you think, oh, no, thank heaven that's all over. No, actually, no, wrong. Just beginning. <laughs> exactly. That uh, really is the start of your problems. I mean, at least you got the airplane safely on the ground, but that's kind of what we're paid to do. So that's behind here. Now you've got the problems of most of your passengers may not have uh, an immigration visa. They may not be allowed into that country. They may not even be allowed to disembark the aircraft. Uh, I remember one of our aircraft diverted on the way to Johannesburg and landed at uh, a French airport, I think, or uh, just on the south coast, French or Italy, somewhere around there, uh, or it might be on one of the islands in the Mediterranean. And um, they wouldn't let any of the South African uh, passengers off the aircraft because they said, no, no, you're not allowed in our country. Um, then you've got a, a nightmare because if you've, the crew have run out of duty time and they need to go and rest before they can take the aircraft on, um, then what the, you can't just leave you know, all these passengers sitting on the aircraft for all this length of time. You're going to have to arrange food. You're going to have to get the toilets regularly emptied. You're going to have to provide fuel for the APU. And they're not going to be happy just sitting on a cramped airplane, particularly if you feel. So, that yeah, getting to your diversion is often the least of your problems. But it's a, it's a very interesting exercise. And it is when a good captain really shows his mettle. It's when a diversion is well organized and the passengers are the end of it yeah so many good points as far as ramifications you know that the, you just basically outlined so many of the ramifications involved uh in proceeding to an alternate which i think is what he means not declaring an alternate because you declare declare an alternate before you even leave if the weather is such or or if it's a long-range flight you you must have an, an alternate declared before you even leave the uh, origin but uh, as far as um, ramifications, as far as getting in trouble or something like that, no, I, I'm not sure if that's what you mean. Uh, but the, but there are ramifications, as uh, Nick so eloquently outlined there. And, you know, having to divert to divert to a, um, a different country, uh, it just seems to me would be a, a huge nightmare. So um, and as Nick also said, uh, most of us will. You know, we look at the figures, the absolute figures for this is how much fuel it's going to take from to get from your original destination airport to your alternate and um, and your reserve fuel remaining. And we always tend to, you know, pad it a little bit uh, personally before we actually pull the trigger and uh, just to have a little bit of extra wiggle room with a little extra fuel so that you don't get to uh, the pucker pack factor doesn't get too high. Captain Old makes a lovely point to when he mentions that as you're heading off towards the airfield, which is your nominated diversion, the last thing you want to hear is that airfield aircraft trying to land there are diverting somewhere else. Yeah, that's not good. 
a lot of times what, what oh, happens with, uh, and you made a good point there, you know, Dana and I, the kind of flying we do, most of the time, the alternate that we are going to go to has is an airport that we've been to, you know, at least a few times, if not more. And so that part of the pucker factor is not so great. However, you know, in coordinating with the dispatcher and, and looking at the, you know, reality of where you, where they want you to go. And then looking at the weather situation and where you want to go could be two different things. Uh, but of course, you know, the captain's authority always uh, prevails in that case. But when you get to the divert airport, the reason why the dispatcher may be trying to convince you to go to some other airport is the fact that there may already be airplanes there and they probably already are maxed out for servicing the airplane and passengers and everything else. And you could just be in just quite a pickle, you know, when you finally get. But, you know, most of the time or all the time, actually, you know, once you divert and get on the ground, you can kind of, you know, rest easy and kind of let out a deep breath of air and think, OK, that wasn't fun, but we're on the ground. And now, you know, we have more issues to deal with. And as we just said, the story may be just beginning. Well, you know, and one of the things that a lot of times gets forgotten when you do, you know, when you're looking at minimum numbers and, you know, I like the fact that both you've talked about adding or padding the, uh, the numbers that you're, you're, you're considering, um, the numbers are based on perfect conditions, new aircraft, set weight, zero wind, and, uh, you know, that you're going to get to your alternate. So, um, you know, the big thing is, is is the engines are a little bit more worn. You have an, an old aircraft that may have a little more parasite drag on it because it's a little dirty. You know, there are other factors that actually eat into your fuel just beyond going into a straight line. So um, it's always a good idea to pad that fuel number because that fuel, the, the, it's a calculated number. You know, when the computer looks at it and can spits out, you need to have, you know, 8,000 pounds to go from, you know, point A to point B based on your alternate. Well, realistically, it might be like 84, 8,500 pounds in the real world. So, you know, those are some of the things that as captains you need to think about and, and add into your padding and, and what you think as far as you, you, you know, you want to consider um, in, in your thought process. And in and, and both, both these guys, Captain Nick and Captain uh, – Captain Jeff have both mentioned the fact that anytime you're looking at divert, you have to have to really kind of pad it a little bit because it just there's no sense getting into that pocket factor, and certainly no sense in having to declare an emergency. Uh, me personally, never have had to declare an emergency, um, and uh, the uh, fortunate thing is is just like Nick. I mean, I've maybe diverted twice in my 15 years. So it's, uh, well, maybe it's three or four times. I have to think about the regional days. You know, the last 11 years at at, uh, at Acme, I think I've only diverted once or twice. So um, it, it, it is a rare occasion. And when that happens, when you, you know, when you're in holding, it, it's probably one of the busiest times that we any of us ever faces. Anytime you have to start thinking about where am I going, how much fuel do I have, and, and, uh, and what are my options. Um, so that's just a little bit I wanted to add. Uh, Captain Al said that they actually can, you know, the computer system takes into account aircraft age and wind. Well, yeah, 
but you can't take into fact that like with our aircraft, we have different engine configurations on the aircraft with different bleed configurations. So there are, there are some other factors that play into to, to our fuel consumption. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I like Al, uh, our airline um, actually tries to use uh, previous diversion data as well as expected diversion routes and paths. For example, uh, diverting from Heathrow to Gatwick. Gatwick is considerably uh, closer uh, than, uh, say, um, uh, Stansted, so that gets less fuel. Uh, but going into JFK, even though Newark is just down the road, that diversion fuel is quite high because we know very well that it's a very complicated uh, air traffic area. And if we were to divert from JFK to try and get to Newark, we know we'd no way would, unless you declare the Mayday, you're going to go in a straight line. So it gives you enough fuel to go around the houses to get to Newark. Um, so, uh, yeah, if the company doesn't do that, you have to, as a captain, I have to put that for uh, fuel calculations and uh, work it out accordingly. But um, I'm glad to say that sort of most airlines, in my experience, <laughs> sorry about that, uh, they'll deal with it quite well. Did I miss something? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was funny that he started laughing there because it. Yeah, I well, he was I, laughing at. No, I just said, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> most airlines, Equal. most of the airlines most I've airlines. been with, all one of them. All one um, of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Okay. <laughs> I've uh, only been with one airline. I was just so. thinking of uh, sometimes we'll we'll you know the weather is you know really good, but just like technically it just slightly doesn't meet one of the requirements for not having an alternate, and so you know sometimes our dispatchers will put like an airport. With I mean, literally within, you know, 20 or 30 miles of the uh, destination airport. And you're looking at that going, right. You know, obviously, that's just there for legality. And then sometimes also they uh, will, will, will declare or put an alternate on your flight plan that is – and the reason why you have an alternate is because of the weather. And the weather is such that it's actually something you would have to fly through to get to your alternate. And then you kind of look at it and go, okay, yeah, I see – you know that you've declared that as an alternate and uh, the fuel figures for that, but I am not going to go to that alternate if I have to really divert. And so that's when it comes, you know, your, your pilot brain has to kind of kick in. And when you start getting closer to your destination and you realize that uh, diverting to an alternate may actually be quite a, a, a possibility, that's when you start really getting to work and looking at all the weather at all the other, you know, possible alternates. And again, the kind of flying that Dana and I are doing, especially here in the States, we have an abundance of, you know, options for, you know, diverting into various places. So well, it's a little bit easier for us. And you guys talked about it. I think it was on the actual last show is, is it doesn't always seem that the diversion points always on the other side of the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nick, you alluded to coming, you know, into New York and that Boston is behind you. There's a much better alternate than uh, the, the, the alternate in front of you. And that's part of the thing that we as pilots are always uh, kind of evaluating is where, where are our best landing options? I mean, just because we're talking about alternates right now, uh, one of the things as a captain to be 
Um, and you guys as captains that I'm always uh, considering is, well, what if it goes to hell in handbasket right this second? What airports are around me? What, you know, what are my best options? So that's something not only to diversion alternates for weather, but God forbid something major happens, you know, you lose an engine or, you know, get a sick passenger in the back, et cetera, et cetera. Those are things that are always, as a captain, should should probably be going through your mind. It is where I am right now and what my best options are based on the weather, based on the aircraft, based on the, the facilities, and et cetera, et cetera. I think that sure. it all comes down to situational awareness, doesn't it? So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. A prudent pilot. And then you uh, get those additional uh, little uh, parker factors when you're getting airborne from an airport that you can't land back at easily. Yep. So yeah, the weather's a bit, uh, you know, like low visibility operations and you get airborne, you're thinking to yourself, if I have an emergency now and I need to return and I can't land back here, where can I land? So uh, you're not only thinking about diversions for landing, you're often thinking about diversions for takeoff as well. Mm-hmm. Which never happens in Heathrow, by the way. Well, yeah. yeah, never bad weather there. No, it's no, no, no. Clear no, no. Never, never get weeks of fog. Or anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, anything else to add um, before we before we move on? No, that was a good uh, good bit of feedback. Yeah. 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 So, uh, it's a good conversation. Yeah, Sylvia. Uh, go ahead. No, I just like the way uh, Silvio uh, helped us out with the pronunciation of his name. Yeah, he does it every time. He's uh, this is not the first time that he's sent us <laughs> feedback, and he always uh, is very helpful with the uh, phonetic spelling of his name. Uh, and he ends the feedback with "Thanks, you guys are awesome. Look forward to uh, to hearing from you. Countless IPAs, bourbons, clear skies, tailwinds, and nothing but the best Chicago or anywhere where I'm parked." And he is a truck driver, and he put in hashtag truck driver life. So, yeah. yes, tailwinds to you, although I don't know if it makes any difference to you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, good weather for maybe. you. Yeah, maybe. I guess probably in those big uh, 18-wheelers probably yeah. uh, would be a nice thing to have a tailwind, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know what, folks? Uh, we got a late start in the show, and uh, I had promised uh, somebody in the local area that uh, I was going to meet up with them for some uh, cool adult beverages at the uh, Flying Saucer. So I think it's going to be one of those rare occurrences where we have uh, a shorter uh, episode. And uh, we'll uh, the remaining uh, pieces of feedback in the feedback folder we'll uh, tackle on the next show, I'm sure. And, of course, those of you who sent in emails in the last couple of weeks to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com, uh, we'll do our best to get to those as well. Um Let's see. I think there are going to be a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We want to like think about fifty-six it. of you. Yeah. yeah, but you know, we're we're not going to have to do all of them. Actually, I was looking through some of them, and uh, some actually some of those actually did make it to it their destination because they oh, used okay. the, uh, the the website um, feedback They're form just duplicates. and duplicates. Yeah, duplicates. So it's not quite so right. bad. So um, anyway, um, but I know that many of you may be wondering why the heck you know we haven't uh, gotten to your amazing feedback and the reason for that is because of a technical snafu so do apologize again for that uh head over to airlinepilotguy.com use that feedback form uh and uh, where you can send him feedback and you can also learn about the crew the community uh merchandise the coffee fund and so much more again that's airlinepilotguy.com and uh, let's see we do have the apps for the uh, ios platform and the android devices so uh, check those out as well on your 
uh, favorite app store and uh, social media stuff. Social media, yes. Um, you can find us on Twitter. That's a place, great place to go to find out what's going on with us and interact with us there. At APG Crew is the handle for Twitter. Um, you can find a pin tweet at the top with all of our individual contact information should you want that as well. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Uh, information there usually about meetups and um, articles and things that are interesting to the community. Um, so feel free to go there and leave us uh, some commentary information, all of that. And I think on to Slack now. Yeah, I think uh, I think Hillel is with me again. Uh, Hillel, take it away. Uh, I'll move over so you can use the mic. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan meetups and events. To get into the Slack team, please send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at HI11E1, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel at HI11E1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel, for that. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, place to hang out and, and uh, enjoy the APG community, as well as Facebook and Twitter. And uh, until next episode, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next time. Good day. expressed on the Airline Pilot Guy podcast may not represent the views, opinions, or policies of any airline, real or fictionalized, mentioned, implied, or accidentally slipped 
by any of the participants, guests, or feedback providers you may or may not have heard, may or may not believe you may have heard, on this or any prior episode of the Airline Pilot Guy podcast.